0: This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Episode 102 Are flight school partnerships important with airlines?
1: Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. My name is Carl Valeri and I am joined by two very special guests this evening. You've heard them before. I'm joined uh, in sunny Florida with somebody who's a little bit under the weather and that's Eric Crumb. (laughs) Eric, welcome to the podcast.
2: Well, at least I'm not in the northeast right now, literally under the weather. I'm I'm just a little sick, so that's good.
1: Well, Eric, that's actually where I am right now. I am really battening down the hatches. We have a big snowstorm coming, and it's going to be exciting. where I'm visiting here, and we can't wait to see the snow. One of the reasons we came up here is to actually watch the snowstorm come through. Uh, some exciting stuff. One of the things you do get to do, and uh, once you pick a career in aviation as far as airlines, you're going to be flying in the snow quite a bit, especially if you're up up north. Uh, We do envy those folks that are down in Florida right now. But also flying, and somebody who's been in and out of the weather all day long, uh, and for the past week, flying approaches to minimums in snow, ice, wind, and rain, is Paul Greco. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how you doing? Great, great. Uh, guys, I, I really appreciate your being here this evening. Uh, I actually, uh, one of the things that we've been trying to do is get more of these out because this is so wonderful getting all the feedback from our listeners. Some great questions. As a matter of fact, if you're listening right now and you have a question, uh, it could have been answered in the past. Just send it to us, feedback at com. Go to com and, and you know click on the contact page and we'll answer your question here on the podcast. And we'll also, if you have a subject that you want us to talk about, that's actually what we're about to do, and uh, you feel that it's important and it would help other people, then you know, write us in and tell us about it. We'd really, really appreciate that. And also, don't forget, if you're looking for coaching and, of course, for the scholarships guide, you can find all that information right there on the website, plus membership where we have many different videos and other guides available. So guys, let's get started with uh with this evening's show and let's talk about the topic at hand. We had a listener uh who was uh, you know interested in a career uh, with the airlines and was was wondering as far as flight schools are concerned. And, you know, in the process of choosing a flight school, what they should do and if it's important to have an airline partnership with that flight school. So, I said, well, "You know what? Let's talk about that." you know flying flying partnerships or or any type of you know pathway type of programs with the airlines how important is that really and and what type of different of uh, uh relationships can there be with the airlines and uh, to start off, off off eric i know uh, you have a few partnerships i'm not sure about all of them if you can talk about some of them that'd be great but maybe from your perspective as someone that has is administering a program what type of advantage does that have?
2: Well, it's actually a really good question, and one that I get asked a lot of times too, especially from prospective students who come in and look at our college program. And I would say, when it comes to this topic, there are really two different approaches. There's the one, uh, the flight school or the college university program. That the first thing out of their mouth is how they have, you know, 25 partnerships with all these airlines, um, and it's a marketing pitch, you know, and it. It's meant to make the, the flight school or the college look great because they have all of these agreements with airlines. That's one, and that's, that's primarily for marketing. Um, and then there's type two, in my opinion, which is you know, we have one, two, maybe three partnerships that we actually use you know, that, that have a, a purpose. So at, at Polk State, we have one direct hiring partnership, and only one. Um, and that's it. Not that i'm not I'm not opposed to others or anything. It's just that when it comes to me recommending to my students you should go fly for this airline, um, I'm pretty choosy about who um who I want to recommend. And also in terms of my relationship with that airline, because it is a relationship, in my opinion. Um, I want to make sure that I am giving them the quantity and the quality of people that they really want. So, I think it's a philosophical point. Um, yes, we do have several airline partnerships, but only one of those has to do with hiring. Um, others have to do with curriculum support or um, other assorted things that are more behind the scenes, um, like advisory board participation and things like that. Because as a college or, and as a flight school, it doesn't matter. It's important that we don't kind of retreat into our shell and, well, we do this because this is how our flight school does it, but that we go out to the industry. And it's not just the airlines. It's the corporate operators. It's the private charter companies and say, hey, well, what do you need our graduates to be able to do? Like what skills should they have that they don't have? And so for our perspective, advisory board participation is very important because we get their feedback about, well, this is what you should be teaching or you really need to focus on these topics Um, and so I, I think it depends on maybe, um, what the, the college or what the flight school use their airline partnerships for. And my first question as a user at one of those uh, facilities would be, um, what are your partnerships for? What are their purpose? And then if the school says, oh, they're all for, they're all hiring partnerships. Okay. So you have 10 hiring partnerships. Okay. Um, the next question should be how many placements do you have in each of those partnerships, right? And so if the school can't answer that question, then for me, I mean, one is maybe they're, maybe it's too complicated to keep track of. Or two, that maybe that agreement is more for marketing to say that they have that agreement than they're actually using it for the purpose of recruitment. I'm not saying that's bad, but it's like anything else. Um, know what you're getting into before you get into it.
1: It's interesting you said that as far as marketing is concerned. I think it's a really important to have relationships. There's a lot of relationships, though, that, that are tied uh, verbally. In other words, hey, listen, you know, we, we don't have a formal relationship with X airline or X organization, but one of our students who graduated from here just happens to be the chief pilot. And even though we don't have a formal agreement... We do have a, a tie with that airline, and sometimes that's good to get those out in the conversation, uh, and when you're making a choice, looking at a specific school. I'm not saying it's the number one thing, but it does help uh, having that, that relationship with a school or excuse me, with an airline. Is that something also that uh, have, you've looked at as far as relationships with airlines, handshakes, uh, that type of agreement? Uh, and, and do you have some of those out there?
2: Absolutely, I don't. A partnership with an airline doesn't have to be, you know, a, a seventeen-page contract. You know, you will do this, or else we'll come beat you with a stick, or something like that. I mean, I think that's in a lot of cases that's totally unnecessary. And like I said, we, we do have formal partnerships for different purposes, but I think there's there's a lot to be said for um, connections and networking. Just as important as it is to network with companies to get your initial job, I think it's really important for training providers to keep track of their graduates and to create those network bases for their programs as a whole and for their individual students. Um, anybody who's uh, talked to us about um, uh, about potentials within the industry, you'll hear us say things when, you know, we'll actually use names, which I won't use on the podcast, but um, one of our former graduates is the CEO of a regional airline. Well, that's amazing.
0: Right, it because sure is.
2: Because I mean, not that says the point is not. Hey, look at us; we're awesome. It's that hey, here's somebody who started off in the same place you are, right? Came to the same school, went through the same stuff you're going through now, and now runs a regional airline. That's great because that person is now a contact, and not just like. You know, hey, I work at this company. I run this company. So you have a contact, you have somebody who who encourages us to give out his email address, you know, who visits our, our program on a on a semi-regular basis when, when he can, um, and who wants to participate. And it's not so much about, you know, how many pilots are you gonna send me next month? That's important. I'm not belittling that, please don't misunderstand me. But like everything else in, in aviation. Partnerships with airlines should be, in my opinion, multifaceted, and they should fill different gaps within your program or within your, your your flight school or whatever. And I think, as a student who's looking to go to a college or a flight school, you you want to see those agreements. Um, and it's a matter of, you know, let's let's get more to the bottom. It's not just, you know, hey, this is a a selling point of the program. Okay, my question is that that may very well be true. How is it? how is it that that makes your program more valuable to me than program x down the road or whatever and that's that's just informed question asking um the same way you'd approach you know buying a car when the car salesman says this car has all the new features You're like that's great what now what features <laughs> like what what features does the car actually have that sounds great but what does it actually mean and i think it's just it's informed question asking but i would expect that those um those agreements would absolutely take on different shapes at different carriers.
1: Interesting. Now, uh, le- let me ask you your opinion on this statement. Uh, I make this statement to a lot of different people, and I, I think you'd agree with it. It's not – one of the important things to me is when you're looking at a school is to ask about placements at different airlines because that, that actually shows that there is some type of relationship, even even though it's not formal – it might be a very, very informal relationship, meaning that the people in the hiring department just like that flight school uh, and that type of thing. How how much importance do you place on that? And do you think that's a great question to ask?
2: I think it absolutely is. I mean, and and again, remember, everybody who comes to flight school isn't going to go work for the airlines. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's not well – you know, if this, if this particular school that I'm interested in doesn't have at least five direct airline hiring agreements, then I don't want to go there. I think that's missing the point, too. Um, but I would definitely expect that a school would keep track of the people who complete its program, whether it's a flight school or, or a university or college, whatever. That You keep track of those people for two reasons. One, so that you can market your program to future students. And two, so that you can build those, again, those connections, that, that networking for later on, when you need somebody to ask questions of, or you want a guest speaker to come in and talk about what it's like to do this job, I think that's really important.
1: And you know, I think the other point too. I know that the question was about airlines specifically, but I, I think you know you alluded to it. Let's expand on that. Is it's it's more important to know all the different jobs. Not just the airline jobs, the corporate jobs, the internships, et cetera, that will lead to the flying job that you want. So I think that's also important to ask that question. I know the, the individual wanted to know about airlines specifically, but any job, any job is important to find out if there's any type of relationship there. And I think that's one of the points you're trying to make a little bit there. Um, but uh, also, there are other benefits. Like, Paul, what, what other benefits would, would the airline have, you think, as far as or the student have that's looking at a flight school
3: well, there's benefit to the airline because, um, like it or not, we're, the pilots are in demand right now. There is a pilot shortage. I know that uh, you know, some people like to argue and say that there's not a pilot shortage, that there's a pay shortage, but the fact of the matter is that at certain levels, maybe not at the major or legacy level, but at the... Uh, at the regional level, for sure, there's a pilot shortage. Um, there, there's flying that's not being done for staffing reasons, and so I think that uh, it really behooves an airline to get in and and make an agreement with a university and sort of get 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 ahead of um, uh, you know the recruiting uh, for their for their prospective pilots. I mean, this is a way for them to say, "Hey, look, you know." You can go anywhere but here's here's what we can do for you and and these are the benefits that that you're gonna get by working with us and and it's just you're gonna flow right through you're you're not going to have to worry about uh interviewing and finding a job it's just a direct flow from your college right to the to the right seat of our regional jet or our turboprop and uh so I think it really benefits the airline uh from a recruiting standpoint, which at the regional level right now is incredibly important
1: that's a good point you know we always say that. Uh, instead of using the word pilot shortage, that, that's become quite a political term for some unknown reason. There, There is truly a, a lack of qualified applicants right now. So this gives that airline the ability to have a pipeline of qualified applicants and the possibility of qualified applicants. They're going to apply there first before somewhere right. else. Exactly. And that's, a, that's a great point. Um, and, and also the other thing is that it helps – the individual because, it, and it helps the student because it's a, it's a wonderful thing to have that that partnership and that they can actually talk to someone and say, hey, uh, what is it you do here? Why do, you know, they don't have to just listen to this podcast and go out and listen to, to people at the airline actually flying. So that's a good point. and And I think that you're going to see more of that. I mean, this is, it's interesting right now. That we have this this situation, this has happened before, where there's you know there's more jobs than applicants. It can always turn the other way, and, and that's just the way life is. You know, during a a downturn, it goes the opposite direction. Uh, I like to use an example of of myself in 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 relationship to a career compared to yours, Paul. Like you look at mine. Right. When I started, uh, it was in April of two thousand and one, and I basically you know, for three, four years made less than minimum wage. And, I mean, I think by my third year I was making, I think it was about 16500 a year. And that was my third year pay. By fourth year I finally broke, I think, $30. Uh, so, but if you look at something, and obviously I don't want you giving away your salary because you're working right now, but um, in your situation you're looking at how long, you've been looking at this for a couple of years. You've been with an airline maybe a year, and, right. and you're getting close to upgrading, aren't you?
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm actually. I I'm senior enough to hold upgrade. I I'm in a uh, a situation right now at my airline because we have so much growth happening that um, I don't have a thousand hours 121 yet. So uh, you need to you need to have a thousand hours 121 to upgrade as a captain, and I don't have that, and and a bunch of us don't have that, in fact. And so um, I really you know, I'm in a situation where after pro- I'll probably by the beginning of the end of spring, beginning of the summer, uh, I'll qualify for captain. And, you know, so you're looking at like maybe 18 months, I'll be on second year captain pay as opposed to being on second year FO pay, which is quite a significant increase in pay. And it takes it, you know, it takes your salary from being, you know, a little bit hard to live on, and makes it a, a real, a, a survivable salary, and, and 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 actually pretty a pretty decent salary.
1: Interesting. Well, that's great. Yeah. I think super that's lucky. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All
3: timing, right? It,
1: it, well, it is, but you have to get into the career that you want to get into also, and you have Agreed. to roll with the punches. Uh, we see a oh, lot yeah. of people drop out during the the bad times, and that's what happens there. So, so getting back to our, our topic from this person's uh, discussion here and the question, are airline and flight school partnerships important? Yeah, but uh, not just the formal ones, the informal ones. So both of those are, are fairly important. You want to ask those questions. Uh, is that a good summary, Eric? Do you agree with that?
2: Absolutely, I couldn't have said actually, if I had just said that, we could have saved fifteen
3: minutes
1: <laughs> <laughs> thanks eric, but I, but I hope we made our point. I, I think and I think we did. well guys, let's let's move on since we've we've talked about that airline partnerships, yes, they're important. any type of partnership is, but let's talk about some listener mail. You guys ready for some listener mail? Mail? All right. This is this is our favorite questions and answers. It's it's you that runs the program here. It's you that runs the the podcast. So keep those emails coming. We really enjoy them. Again, by the way, we won't. Uh, we take all your personal information out, uh, even if you allow us to do it. I try not to. I want to. I want to keep as much uh, of that personal information away from from the listeners. And we don't want you getting in uh, you know in any trouble with your job, that type of thing. Um, so let's start with the first question. He comes in and says, Hi, Carl. I dove into the podcast headfirst over the last couple of weeks. All my other podcasts have been told to, quote, unquote, line up and wait. I love that. That's awesome. Uh, nice. <laughs> Good aviation term. I, like many of your listeners, apologize for the length of my email. We love the emails. Don't worry about the length. Uh, we actually sometimes will cut out certain things, obviously, uh, because of uh, you know the personal kind of stuff. But this, the length of the email, don't worry. We'll, we'd love to hear your stories. I do have a couple of questions, if you don't mind. I'm 29. I've always dreamed of being an airline pilot since I was a little kid. I never seemed practical, though. Like many of your listeners, I'm getting started later than I would have liked. I'm beginning flight school this summer for my private pilot's license. The Flight School offers both Part 141 and Part 61 training. I'm leaning towards the Part 141, but would like to know if I'm on the right track. I'm currently a wedding photographer and make pretty decent living in it. The other benefit of being a photographer is that my schedule during the week is pretty wide open. So um, before we start into the rest of his question... Guys, what do you think? As far as the Part 61 and 141 training, it's leaning towards the 141. I personally, you know, the 141 will get you uh, through there quicker. It's usually more structured. You can have 61 programs that aren't structured. So, Eric, I'll let you uh, answer that question.
2: Sure. Um, Yeah, it's it's a tough one. And in today's world where you need more hours than you used to, um, it makes a compelling argument for maybe doing the 61 path. Um, because you are going to come out on the end of it with with more flight time. The argument there is, you know, do you want to pay for the flight time yourself or do you want somebody else to pay for it <laughs> as you build time in your first aviation job? So th- that's kind of a juggle. In terms of structure, I've been to a lot of Part 61 schools that are more structured than 141 schools. I think that, that really comes down to a um, where are you training, who are you training with, uh, what's the reputation of the company in the age of social media um, and things like that? It, it's so easy to find that kind of information now. Um, and then ultimately, it's it's success rates. It's, you know, what's your completion rate? What's your check ride pass rate? And at the end of the day, the 61-141 thing, um, it will always be a question. People will always struggle with it. Um, I tend to like the 141 training, um, and I, I prefer it just because it will get you, typically, for most people, it'll get you out of the training about 60 hours on average less than Part 61 training will. Um, and you know, your, your benefit there is that 60 hours of training you don't have to pay for, that either your students can help you build as a flight instructor or that you can accumulate getting paid as a you know, banner pilot or uh, a jump pilot or whatever it is It's going to be your first aviation job. So um, I, I, honestly, I can't tell you that you must do one or the other Um, It's a judgment call, and ultimately, it's the quality of the school, and the aircraft, and the instructors, and the curriculum uh, that you're using. And if and you could have a great 141 and a bad 61, or vice versa. It's about again, just like before, it's about informed question asking in my opinion.
1: And and that's a good point. You know, I had leaned towards the more of the sixty one uh, because in the one forty one I, I had it was so structured and I was at one of those small airports and it was a little bit tough to tie into uh, these folks very varied schedules. Uh, so I lean towards the 61, but I also had the structure of a 141 syllabus because that's what I use. So I was incredibly structured, and and I think we did a really a good job of that. So I'm on I'm kind of on the other side, unless you have a situation where uh, like Eric's involved with there, where you have an incredibly structured program has has some great checks and balances and uh, and you have students that can actually go into that process of being a 141 and make the commitment cuz a lot of times uh people start 141 especially at a small airport and uh that doesn't uh you know that and, and that person has another job and they aren't able to finish up on the 141 but i like your point though i like the point that you made you know you when you're finished you have somebody else paying for the rest of your time and that that's kind of a cool cool way to be. Paul, how about you? What do you feel about the difference between the 141 and the 61 to answer this person's question?
3: Actually, you guys both touched on everything I thought about, which was, you know, I really like, I like the the flexibility of part 61, but I love the structure of part 141. And if you can combine the two, like, for example, what I did, um, I did, I I sort of did part 61 training using the part 141 syllabus so that there was structure because I liked having structure. I didn't like when you uh, would just show up at a flight school and they'd say, oh, what did you do last week? Oh, you you know, we did steep turns and stalls. All right, uh, well, well, let's do that again and then we'll, we'll go work on, you know, slow flight or something, you know, and they, they were just kind of winging it. And I re- so I liked the structure of a 141 environment, um, but... Uh, in this new age where you need to build time or you know and get for more experience um you know part 61 isn't necessarily a bad thing and i the beyond that i think what's most most important and eric mentioned this earlier um is it's it's for, in my opinion far more important to have a really really good instructor and uh or a school that you really really trust versus a 61 or a 141. I'd go with a solid instructor, you know, any day of the week over how you're going to learn whether it, whether it's a 61 environment or a 141 environment. But I, I I like that structure of the 141 and combining it with either doing a 61 program or 141 I think is less important.
1: I think that to answer this person's question, uh, one of the things I'm sure he's thinking right now is that, uh, you know, I don't have the time to actually interview all these these instructors. So if you're just looking at it from a purely 61-141, I liked uh, Eric's point where, yeah, you'll get things done quicker and you'll be able to get your commercial license and have someone else pay for it. But if you do have the ability to to go in and and look at this this flight school in more in depth, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter so much if it's a 61-141 to you. What you're looking for is quality training. Exactly. Uh, and I think that's an important point, Paul. So great. Uh, actually, let's continue with his question. He has about two more within this question. Pretty interesting. The, the, some great questions, by the way. Uh, I love emails like this. We really have, have thought out this whole career choice. He continues. It says, since I'm new to the arena, how does scheduling work with the regionals slash majors? I've heard one of your co-hosts mention he is also a nurse. Would it be possible to tell the airlines uh, I have contractual duties on Saturdays and cannot fly or they just, will, will that just get me fired? Answer to the last question real quickly, you can't do that. There's, there's When you're, you work for the airline, you work for the airline, and uh, they, they pretty much own you. Now, with that said, let's go back to that first question, how does scheduling work with the regionals and the majors? It's all everything, everything in your life. It's about seniority. You bid your schedule. So if you're the number one person at the airline and you say, I want weekends off, you know what? You're going to get weekends off and you're going to be able to work that other job on the weekend. So, for instance, uh, like myself, I can actually hold captain at the airline I work for, but I choose not to because I have the schedule that I want and I have the lifestyle I want, which allows me to do things like... If I wanted to have weekends off, I actually like to work on weekends, I want the opposite. Uh, I want specific days during the week off, and I want specific destinations, and I get that. So the regional flying, the majors, they're they're pretty much the same as far as bidding. You start the month off every month bidding your schedule, and, and then it goes in seniority order. They take number one, that number one person bids and uh, selects the line that they want to fly, and they get that line, uh, and it goes from there. Uh, but, but with that said, I, I think the person that you're talking about actually as far as the co-host that has the, uh, the, is also a nurse is, is Paul and he's actually uh, been able to, to do that to have a, an interesting schedule where, where he can work but there are challenges what, and what are some of those, those benefits and challenges Paul?
3: well the the challenges are in the beginning, as you said, everything is based on seniority in in our business. And so when you're when you're new, as I was um, a year ago, trying to juggle both schedules was very, very difficult. I only had eleven days off a month, so I had to juggle uh, I had to juggle trying to fit those nursing shifts in on those eleven days, and sometimes, the open shifts that were available were not necessarily the days that I had off. So then I had to do some juggling. And fortunately, I have some very uh, very good friends and very understanding colleagues at my nursing job. And so I would try and get – they would maybe work – rearrange their schedule to, to a degree to open up a shift on a day that I had available so that I could work. And so there was a lot of uh, maneuvering, if you will, that had to happen in order for me to, to make that work. Now, um, well, it's, it should be getting a little easier as the months go on because I'm getting more senior on the, uh, on the FO side of things. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm in a position now. My February schedule just came out, and I have every weekend off for the month, and I'm working pretty much... I'm working like either Monday through Wednesday or Monday through Thursday with the rest of the time off during the week. So it's pretty consistent that way, and I should be able to pick up some more nursing shifts a little easier. But the other problem that I was running into uh, was the fact that we're very short-staffed as well. And so um, even though I'm a little more senior now and I get the schedules I want, um, I'm working a lot because we need pilots. And so that makes it hard to pick up shifts because I'm working more as a pilot, which takes away availability to work as a nurse. So, is it possible? Yes, it's absolutely possible. Um, is it? Would it would it be possible in the beginning? Honestly, I'm. Not, if you only um, are doing photography on the weekends for weddings, I think that would be really hard in the beginning because when. you when you first get out of training and and you're going to be gone for nearly two months in training, when you get out of training, you're going to be the least senior guy. You're going to be the bottom of the list. And that means you're going to be working pretty much every weekend and every holiday. I think I worked every weekend for, for at least six months. And that's in an airline where there's, we have tons of movement. So at a, at an, at another airline that doesn't have as much movement, you might be working every weekend for a year. So that might be difficult. So you may have to, I don't know if there's a way to to work around that in, in your wedding photography business, but that may be a challenge.
1: Yeah, that de- definitely is a challenge. You know, uh, it, it, another example, I know one of the things he said in the continuation of this is that, you know, if if it's easy to work for the regionals, then he won't be heartbreaking and not go to the majors. It doesn't matter if it's regionals or majors. They still have the same challenges as far as your co- your uh, schedule is concerned. Uh, I know that uh, both Eric and I have a friend that went and worked for the regionals and realized, hey, this this wasn't for them, you know. And, uh, it, it's really, you know, the thing that <laughs> he realized, he realized when he went into it that, uh, this might be tough, but he didn't realize how tough it would be with his schedule and also making money. So it's, uh, it's really, it's really something you have to look at and realize that if you have something else going on, you may not be able to do that. And you might be disappointed by the pay and all in the beginning. So, uh so that that's really really important so um they it's it's also important too to to realize what it is you want out of this job if it's definitely weekends off then it might be later on uh, and and another thing here that's interesting is i have a, another uh, co-worker that's a photographer and he is able to make his his job actually work with his photography. So what he does, he arranges uh, some of the modeling and stuff like that that he does. He'll have the models arranged and all when he gets to his destination, and he'll do a photo shoot. He brings all his camera equipment with him, and then he heads back home. So I thought that was that was pretty darn creative uh, on his side. Uh, but uh, Paul, you had something else.
3: Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you a question for him, and which is. Um, he says he's not afraid to maybe stay at a regional level. Um, I was, I'm thinking maybe that's not such a bad idea because he can, he can gain seniority quicker at a regional, and and so there would be sacrifice in the beginning, um, because, you know, like like we talked, he's at, at, in the beginning he's still going to be a junior man, and he's going to be working weekends, but his ability to hold weekends off and and. And, and do that consistently will happen much quicker at a regional that has movement versus, say, a major or, or a legacy. I don't know what kind of experience you has, I, but uh, you know. So I don't. What do you think of that? I mean, is that so a possibility?
1: It definitely is. If you have the regional that's growing, and and you also have one uh, that you are guaranteed is going to be around. Nowadays, with all these different regionals working for the majors, you know, when I got hired. The regional I worked for was the major. We didn't have, you know, we, my paycheck came from the major airline. Uh, then they spun us off and started using, I think it's now 12 other regional airlines. They went from one to 12 others. And ours, actually, we went from being really big to shrinking dramatically uh, mm. overnight. So we, we lost over 30% of our airplanes uh, with one fell swoop. Wow! And so you're sitting there saying, yeah, I gained a lot of seniority. And even that same regional I was working for, we have people that are moving on to the majors because, and these are guys that have been there for 18 years saying, oh boy, you know, I need to move on. There is something that a lot of people will say about the regionals, and it's very true. It's a wonderful environment. If you're a senior, you can make good money, but they don't ever sell tickets. Uh, some do, but uh, they right. they usually rely on a major airline to sell their tickets. So that is one of the risks of doing that. Is the fact that I'm not saying you shouldn't, but you have to you have to add this into that risk factor. Is that that regional? If if the the major airline that is doing that or the major airline they are flying for decides that they want to cut their costs and they say, hey, listen, you're going to have to fly for X amount of dollars, and the regional can't do that, then they're going to go to somebody else. And that happens all the time. And uh, and that is one of the risks you run. Whereas when you're working for somebody who's actually selling tickets, like a major, then you don't have that risk right there. There is the possibility, though, with a regional being shrunk. And you know, here's a good example. Comair, which was the premium place to go, that, that disappeared. And that's gone. And, that's, right. and you had so many career people there. Uh, and at some of the other, you know, regionals that we, we know of, uh, some of those are, are shrinking their pilot groups, and, and through attrition, they're doing it. Uh, so, yeah, you can stay with the regional, and, and you can gain seniority, uh, but don't, don't think anything is, is truly forever. There's always a, a contingency plan. Obviously, with that said, a major airline that could happen to also. Uh, look at, you know, the, what happened to the TWA pilots. You know, being, boom, they're all put on the street after that merger went through. So that can happen right. at the majors, too. Uh, but it's more prevalent and more likely to happen at a regional. Uh, so that's my opinion there. You know, so, yes, you can move up. But uh, I'm, I'm seeing guys that have been at the regionals 18 years finally moving on to the majors saying, wow, this was great, but, you know, now now they're cutting our flying. And and now I've become junior, and now I've been here 18 years, and now what do I do? That type of thing. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, moving on I hope that answered the question um, he also asked one more question it says, uh, one final question if you will indulge me he uh, says Carl, you've been hopping on a plane and heading to the Caribbean on a day off and that can be done with the regional as well could you elaborate on that a little more does, does there have to be empty seats on the flight and he also asks how often are you allowed to use the benefit like this how does bringing your wife and kid along work okay, so first of all Usually, I go to the Caribbean anyway for work because that's that's we go back to that scheduling. I schedule to go to the Caribbean because I like the Caribbean. I was just where was I in the Aruba. Uh, the other day, so I like to go to those destinations. I like the warm climate. I like to be able to go snorkel that type of thing and go swimming in the pool. Uh, some people they like the snow and or they like the West Coast or whatever. I I prefer going to the Caribbean. Uh, as far as uh, with the regionals and can they do that? Sure. I mean, you normally are working uh, at for another major airline when you are working for the regional, so you actually get to go on that airline and pass ride on that airline plus it doesn't even have to be your own airline you can you can actually do uh like an id90 which is a discount uh going on other airlines uh does there have to be empty seats of of course there has to be empty seats if you're traveling as a pilot though Uh, you can take the jump seat Uh, in certain aircraft there's uh, availability of two to five jump seats on there Uh, and you can jump on those. Also, don't discount FedEx. I FedExed myself home a few times. (laughs) You know, There's jump seats there, so you can get all over the world. Uh, If you're by yourself, obviously it's easier. Um, And how often are you allowed to use the benefit? Um, Gosh, I use it every week because that's how I get to work. Um, If I want to take off and say they're having some festival in Puerto Rico, I can just go down there and go to the festival and come back. It's uh, I liken it to if you, you have to look at it this way it's like it's like buying a ticket on the train uh and you work for the train company the ticket's free, you just get on the train and go uh for me you know for me to go to like San Juan from where I live is just like you know me driving down the street and going getting you know a gallon of milk it's not that big of a deal. I just jump on and go and it's very hard for people to understand that uh like right now. I'm in New Jersey tomorrow. I could you know be in the Caribbean getting a suntan that that type of thing. Also bringing the kids along and the wife that can be a little more difficult because uh now, if you bring somebody along on your trip, then that person stays with you and your family stays with you in the hotel. First of all, you have to make sure the hotel's okay with that depending on how many kids you have. But if you bring your spouse, it's usually okay. Um, also, if they get stuck there. Because they're, they're on a non-ref status. There is no guarantee they'll get a ticket back. You still have to go finish your trip. Um, you know, I did this the other, uh, gosh, the other month. I went over to San Juan. Then I flew back to the U.S. and back to uh, Kennedy where I'm based. Then I flew back to San Juan to meet my wife down there. So you have to make sure uh, that your your spouse can get back. If not, you're going to have to go get them or they're going to have to find a hotel room. Uh, so that kind of summarizes it there. I know, Paul, you've actually used your benefits, and you're in a regional pilot, uh, flying to a destination. Was that that benefit? Did you use that on your airline or on a, a partner airline?
3: I did both. Well, I I used it on our uh, legacy uh, airline partners' uh, airline, but I also uh, I jumped, I went on the jump seat on another airline that. Uh, you know, just another airline that we could jump seat because there was no availability and so it was <clears throat> it was actually quite a challenge because I went um with the wife and the two kids we we tried to go to uh Orlando from from New Jersey and that that's a very as you mentioned you're traveling on a non-rev status so there has to be there has to be open seats and and in this day and age they a lot of the airlines overbook the uh, the airplane, and they, you know, if it's oversold, there's no seats, or if there's a couple of seats available, and there's some, uh, you know, depending on your your ranking in the system, you might be less senior to somebody else, and so you don't get that seat. So, um, what we had to do, there was only a couple seats available, so my wife took the two kids, and and she went on one plane to one airport, and I took a different plane, and I got in the jump seat, and then I went to another airport, and and we uh, rented a car, and we met in the middle. <laughs> so uh, you just have to, I think the key to, to, to doing this stuff is to be really flexible, um, and I also find that um, if you're going to use this benefit, flexibility in the time that you go, so don't be so if you're if you have to go on a specific day and you have to come back more importantly you have to come back on a specific day I find the benefit really it can be very stressful because you don't know if you're gonna be able to get back or not so if you can be flexible when you go down and come back that's that's where it really works out and so um, about six months ago I just randomly went on the computer and said let me see what the let me see what the flights look like to Florida just so we could get we could escape to some sunny weather. And, uh, and there was like a hundred open seats for two, two or three days in a row. So I called my wife and said, Hey, why don't we go to Florida? And so we got in the plane. There was like 30 people on a seven three. And, uh, we stayed down there for a couple days and came home after three days and there was like 30 opens or I'm sorry, 30 people on the, on the flight back. So it worked out there because we just happened to go when, when there was, you know, good availability. But the next day it could have been completely oversold and, and you don't make it. So it's just, um, again, flexibility in where you want to go and when you want to go. And it's a really great benefit. I, I I mean, I really enjoy it. I don't use it enough. I work too much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we all don't use the benefit enough. I mean, it's, it's always nice to jump on and go traveling. But sometimes oh, yeah. you're traveling so much, you're like, oh, boy, I just want to – I just want to go home. And, it's
3: nice to be home and be in your own bed. It right? is.
1: It is. It's very nice to be home in your own bed. What's interesting, what, what you just said about that is one of the reasons that I hear from other coworkers that on their vacations, they don't use the travel benefits a lot of times. Yes. They actually purchase tickets. Yep. If you're going somewhere and you have to be there or you have to be back or your spouse has to be back for a job, your, one of your family members, you might as well just wind up buying the tickets uh, because it can be very stressful the other part of that travel benefit is the buddy passes and uh, I've actually I think Eric has probably used one of the buddy passes haven't you Eric
2: well, if you ever gave me a buddy pass I might use it. Oh, wow. Oh, that thing straight to the core. Ouch.
1: So oh. so there is another funny part of this is that you you usually give your buddy passes to your to your enemies not to your friends. <laughs> exactly. And because a well, lot
2: Well, to t- be honest, to be fair now, you have you have attempted to give me a buddy pass several times, but like you guys are just talking about Buddy passes are great if you don't really need to get there or get back. Right. <laughs> and, and usually <laughs> when I'm going somewhere, I actually need to get there and I actually need to get back. So buddy passes don't usually work for me all that well.
1: And if you want to go somewhere and no one else wants to go to, it's usually okay. Uh, but you usually don't want to travel to those places. Uh, I know I have a friend I gave a buddy pass to, got stranded out in California for three days uh, and just could not <laughs> get was, back. That's
2: what would happen to me. That's oh, what yeah, would happen to yeah. Me. Oh, I remember –
1: My last airline, they used to joke that in Honolulu they would dust off all the buddy pass riders about once a week (laughs) while they were waiting at the airport trying to get home. And and that is is an interesting benefit, but it's also uh, like some people fall into the trap. Like Paul just said, they'll see all these flights are open to Florida and they jump on. Well, you're not the only person thinking that. And a whole bunch of people will do that. We have that happen in the city that I commute to. Because it's not a real huge tourist destination compared to some of the other destinations in Florida, and it's the last one to fill up. And people will say, "Hey, there was 30 seats open. I got to the airport, and there was none left." And that's because of that. Because other people say the same thing. Oh, let me get away. And when cu- and the weather gets cold up north, you know the, the flights get full uh, fairly quickly. So something something to keep in mind when you're when you're pass riding. But you'll you get the hang of it. You really do. After a while, you figure it out. As a me, as a jump seater, I never worry because I can go anywhere in the world to get to my destination. And sometimes the shortest distance between A and B is not a straight line. You know, I've gone to the Midwest to get to New York, and I commute from Florida, but that was the only way that I could get there. And uh, we have people leave the country and come back just because that's the only flight that they could get there on. So
2: I will say though, if I was gonna, if I was gonna vacation on benefits with my spouse. I would absolutely go to the airport and act like I was going to go through the TSA line with her and then skip over to the side and be like, see you later, and just <laughs> run through known crew member and just leave her there for an hour. I would get in a lot of trouble afterward, but it would be really funny as I walk through the line and she's sitting in the, in the middle of, of pandemonium at the Orlando airport. Actually, it's probably better that I'm not an airline pilot because I would definitely get beaten after that. <laughs> but, but it would be fun to do it once.
1: Well, we do that because it's usually checking a bag, but that's that's why we'll do that. It's a different line. So I'm already on down there and picking up our tickets by that time. But uh, but yeah, good stuff. I mean, this is all the the great things about this this podcast is that we get to answer these questions. These are there's some nitty gritty details about about past riding. You like like I said, you really get to know. Uh, how to get to work and also how to travel on a non-rev status by studying things. Now, there are things that happen, like you know disasters and things that uh, you can't predict, that type of thing. But uh, anyway, great questions. Thanks. Uh, it says, he ends up, says, thanks a million for your podcast keep up the great work and uh Mm -hmm. thanks we just really appreciate your question uh let's move on to one or two more questions and then we're gonna have to wrap it up we've been talking for so long here uh that these are all some awesome awesome questions we've been Mm -hmm. saying we've been trying to make put out more and shorter podcast uh but i do want to get to this one real quick he asks about uh and i'll probably comment on this and the other two may or may not but says uh you know, do you have an opinion about ATP flight schools? ATP flight school is a name. You know, all ATPs. Uh, he says, "I'm 33, single, and have no commitments or debt, so I want to get through as fast as possible so that I can begin earning." Uh, that's my thoughts. Yeah, it's you know, i've I've heard uh, I've heard the gambit uh, from all ATPs. I'd love to have someone on from the from that company and talk a little bit about their program. But it seems to me they can be quite regional. Meaning that there's so many flight schools throughout the country, Uh, certain uh, flight schools uh, do a better job than others. I've noticed, but I think that's true in anything that's that large, Uh, you know, a flight school that or any corporation that is that large that you have different pockets that are better than others. But uh, getting in, you know, in general, the comment that I have is that you know it's it's really important to try to get things done in in an expeditious manner uh so that you can get through it and uh, and move on to your ratings. What do you think, Paul?
3: Yeah, I think getting getting the training done quickly benefits you a bunch of different ways. We've talked about this on previous episodes, but it it saves you money and uh and you get the you get the training done quicker. Um because you retain the information because as, because you're not, you're not taking longer in between, uh, lessons, but you can do this in, there are various schools all throughout the country that specialize in what they call accelerated training. And I personally have gone through that and I'm a huge proponent of accelerated training. Um, the military trains that way, uh, you know, and it's, it's just, it's, drinking from a fire hose for for a a really short condensed period of time and it's very concentrated training and the benefit to that is you retain the information and you save money and so i'm a huge proponent and I, i don't i know he asks about atp specifically but i know there are a bunch of other schools that really specialize especially in florida they're all over florida and arizona um that specialize in accelerated training so if if he wants to get it done quickly, there are other there are other places out there as well that do a really really good job uh, and specialize in getting it done in a in a really short period of time. And I know somebody that got their private pilot in 12 days. I was there because wow. I got my commercial and uh, my commercial and my multi commercial instrument in uh, combined. I think I did it in seven days, but he I, so i was down there while he was doing his private and he he did it in 5 days and it was ama- – i'm sorry he did it in 12 days and it was absolutely amazing um because he flew 3 to 4 flights a day and he studied all night long it was just incredible
1: yeah i'm i'm a big fan of accelerated programs you know like you i did my multi-engine commercial in 2 days and my my cfi in the 3rd day uh so it really is it's good if you are very busy flying and you need to get back, but it's also, uh, it can be a challenge. Uh, and with that, I know other people have been asking about the same school and other schools, and I've uh, we've tended to stay away from opinions about schools, but I'd like to people to know about those, especially the bigger ones. So uh, we are trying to get someone on, and we will hopefully in, in the future get somebody from those schools. Uh, you know, all ATPs, the Embervilles, the the uh, Sims, and all those, Aeroism, I think it's called out, out in uh, Sanford. So we're trying to get some folks from those schools on, and I'd like to ha- hear their stories and uh and let them tell you the benefits and and the benefits they've had with their students. So we'll definitely look for that in the the future. Well, thanks for that question. I appreciate it. Uh, Moving on, let's get one last question and then we'll move on uh, to everything else. Uh, This person writes in and says, I'm starting flight training, private pilot, and very interested in the scholarships guide. Uh, Looking through what information is available in the book, there doesn't seem to be much information regarding scholarships or private pilot training. I have a couple hours logged, eight to nine, with money being the biggest thing standing in my way Does the guide offer information on scholarships for the private pilot license? I have only been listening to the podcast for a couple of weeks, but have completely turned off music since finding your show. Thanks. Well, gosh, I appreciate it. Don't turn off music. I love music, uh, but I appreciate what you're saying. Uh, As far as scholarships for the private pilot, there are scholarships that are... Uh, for you to get your private pilot license. They don't specifically say that a lot of times. They'll be also associated, say, with a school, et cetera. I know that Eric has a couple of people that at his school that were able to get the private and the instrument. I think they were two separate scholarships. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that one, Eric.
2: Well, this, this scholarship, um, you've, the scholarship, if we're talking about our local regional scholarship here, it, there is a, a private pilot scholarship, and then there's also a college scholarship, which students can then use, uh, which will take them to the next four years of their college journey, which they can use toward all of their flight expenses, as well as tuition and things like that. That's an incredible opportunity. It didn't exist <laughs> when I went to college, where I went to college. I wish it had. Um, but yeah, that's uh, it, it is possible to to do that, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, and we also have a couple more that we've been adding to the scholarships guide that... Uh that do have uh, the private pilot there, uh, and and that's uh, something you can look towards that. And Paul, you've been working on quite a few, so you've seen a, a few of those. We're uh, we're seeing. I think it was at AOPA that's doing. it, is that what it was?
3: Yeah, I think one of the uh, AOPA has got a bunch, um, and I'm pretty sure I've, I've added so many. I can't I can't remember exactly. So um, I we could check this out and and, and uh, maybe put it in the sh- put it in the notes at the end, but. Uh, I'm pretty sure the AOPA scholarship, there's a bunch of scholarships that uh, where the requirements are you have to be a student pilot only. You cannot, ha- and you. Right. some of the scholarships say that you can't even have taken your written test yet. So if you're a student pilot that took the private pilot written t- test, then that disqualifies you. So they want really early in, in your training uh, candidates, so they are definitely out there. Um, they're they're definitely out there, and they were they were big money scholarships. I want to say like, and don't quote me on this, but they're s- several thousand, maybe six eight thousand dollars. They're big money scholarships out there for for this stuff.
1: Yeah, so they they are out there. You just have to look. They're not specifically worded as that a lot of times, uh, but they are uh, like they might be what is it, like the Alaskan Airlines scholarship, you know, that might be toward, move toward your scholarship. For your private, so don't look at just the name of it. Look, look into it. And our, and like I said, more and more of those are growing, uh, within the scholarships guide. So, uh, so take a peek in there. It's only ten dollars. It's a pretty good deal, I think. And uh, and it's growing every single day. By the way, the two thousand sixteen guide. We keep talking about it. The PDF files being finalized. We're putting that out there on the internet. Also, by the way, that's another thing I wanted to mention. Is that uh, we're thinking uh, a lot of people really want the book. They want the guide like in Amazon, et cetera. I want to hear back from you what you feel, the type of format you feel is best for you. Of course, we have the online scholarships guide, which is a database, and that's for people that have membership within Air- Aviation Careers Podcast. Uh, but we're, we're, not, um, we're getting a lot of people buying it off Amazon, and I think that's an easier format. So what I want to know is, is do you think we should keep it the PDF format or not as a download for you or just put it onto Amazon and iBookstore, et cetera? And also, uh, what other formats would you like to see it in? Would you like to see a print format? To do that, do me a favor. Go to podcast.com slash vote, and that will be in the show notes, podcast.com slash vote in general. If you could go to that every so often, that'd be great because we're doing surveys all the time about things about the podcast, et cetera. And just just put in, click on the different things as far as your opinion and put your opinion as to what we need to do in the future, maybe even future episodes if you really want to put in there. Of course, there's feedback at com for that too. Uh, I'd like to hear back from you and, and what you feel about the uh, the PDF file and also about the guide. The cool thing, by the way, on the Aerospace Scholarships, uh in the in the Kindle store and I didn't realize this but every uh time when we first published it I had to put an update in there and I did I updated it so we keep that version updated say it's a 2015 guide until the end of the year so if we put any updates out, that'll actually be on the uh, in the Kindle store. With that said, it doesn't automatically get pushed to your device, I'm finding. So what we're going to try to do is get some uh, information on how to do that, how to download the most recent version. So, for instance, if I put a new one out there, a new version out in Kindle, uh, you'll have to actually download it. One of the, the best ways to stay informed, by the way, other than just listening to this, if you do buy the the Scholarships Guide, is sign up for the newsletter. We're going to put that information in our newsletters as far as when the Scholarships Guide get, gets updated. And by the way, this thing, Paul, I really appreciate what you're doing and also what Russ has been doing and everybody else that's been involved. I can't name everybody because there's so many folks that are involved now with the Scholarships Guide. We have added so many scholarships. It's incredible. I mean it's really uh, the, it's 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 you know it's getting large when you can't name all the scholarships anymore and, oh, and I yeah. I used to know every, all the different scholarships we were talking about the private pilot scholarship I just and I had to realize you know there's actually I think even 5 of them I think that are out there that are specifically towards getting the private pilot license so um so it's really it's a, been a really neat project in a project too and uh, I know that Eric it's interesting cuz Eric has seen this thing morph from my saying Gee, let's put a scholarships guide together. How hard could that be? And to me, to,
2: to, to oh, hear. If only I could go back to those days <laughs> and go back in time with with what you have now and say, Carl, Carl, look, look, look. This is what you're getting into.
1: And, and yeah, and and not realizing the, the staff that I would need to keep this thing going, and 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 the time that it would you know would take to to have this thing move forward. But it's been great. Uh, it's really rewarding to see people get money, and move forward in their careers and, and be able to, to train and, be, and uh, actually become the pilot that they want to be. And uh, I think that's, that's really, really important. Well, gosh, no one's
2: a louder cheerleader of it than I am. Yes,
1: I will say that. Eric, you've been a, a big cheerleader, and I do appreciate that. Uh, even from the beginning when it was just a little bitty guide and, and all I did was basically take some of the ones you have and the ones off the FAA website and put it on my website. And Now it's just totally morphed, and uh, it's really neat to help people out. Um, but by the way, we do have uh, I forgot the scholarships of the week, so I wanna mention that before we go and before we close up today. The scholarship of the week is the Doolittle Tailwheel Scholarship Award. And uh the purpose is for the tailwheel endorsement. You know, ten hours of tailwheel instruction is to be given in a J three cub at at uh Dollstown Airport in uh Vineland or is that Dollstown Airport in Vineland, New Jersey? Uh, and the endorsement must be completed within eight hours of commencing of training. Uh, height, weight limit, and a weight limitation there is on this. Just remember, it's a, just a J3 Cub, and it's, uh, so make sure you take a look at that one. We'll have it in the show notes, and uh, you know, you, you definitely, it's not, it's a challenge to get, but I really uh, recommend you're doing it because you have to, you have know, need letters of recommendation, an essay, but to get your tailwheel endorsement, it'll make you a much, much better pilot, just getting some training in a tailwheel and we have links to that and that actually is in, uh, in the uh, Pennsylvania I think uh, 99's chapter is sponsoring that one so go check that one out uh, awesome scholarship there uh, another thing that we've been doing too is asking our, our guests if they have any products, services or any picks of the week like we've done with the other podcasts we have that they might want to suggest uh, to our listeners to maybe help you move forward in your career so uh, you know Eric or, or Paul, Eric do you have anything you want to suggest to our, our listeners?
2: Well, not that it hasn't been suggested a thousand times before in a lot of places. Um, FASafety.gov. If you're interested in the flight side of this or the maintenance side of this, sign up for a free FASafety.gov account. There's so much good free stuff there, Um, information that you might not get anywhere else. It's really good stuff. Take advantage of it, and you can't beat the price.
1: Yeah, it's free. I mean these these are these seminars are free. As uh, I'm glad you mentioned. It. Of course, we'll put that link in FAAsafety.gov. safety uh, gov. I do get involved quite a bit with doing some of the uh, the talks, and uh, if you are a private pilot or any pilot, uh, if you complete three ground, three flight, you uh, you actually get your flight review done. It's a really really cool thing. Uh, so uh, and thanks for that one, Eric. I appreciate it. Uh, and also, Paul, did you have any suggestion possibly on something?
3: I'm a gadget guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really like somebody. I had somebody buy me uh, a Stratus. Um, a student actually bought me a Stratus when I finished up his uh, private pilot. It was a really, really generous gift. And uh, it's a Stratus is an ADSB weather receiver, weather and traffic receiver, and it uh, it links up with with your iPad and ForeFlight and I don't get to use it now, um, because we're not allowed to use it, at the airline, but when I was work, flying general aviation, uh, and charter, uh, it was a, it's a really great tool that provided, it really increased your situational awareness and, and gave you a better overall weather picture, um, because it includes things like radar and METARs and TAFs and Windsaloft aloft and PIREPs. um, and and uh it's it's got some some traffic advisories on there it's just an incredibly uh it's an incredible resource that uh just a few years ago didn't exist and so um that can be found at uh i don't even know how to pronounce this but it's appareo.com. dot com and that's uh where you can find that
1: okay and we'll have a link to that in the show notes i really appreciate that there and also uh you know that and and Eric I appreciate your uh, yours with the afa safety.gov I really am a big promoter I've been a safety counselor since uh, gosh it's been like almost 15 years now and so I'm a huge proponent uh, I'm a lead safety rep in the Tampa FISDO, and I think it's uh, one of the best things you can do it's all it's free it's a lot of fun you'll always learn something no matter what level pilot you are uh, so definitely go out and check that out. And the other one is com. Really good stuff. Well, guys, I really appreciate your coming tonight and, and speaking with us. And this has been some really great discussion and also information. Uh, Eric, where can they find you on the internet? Let's see. Eric actually is, uh, see Eric go on Twitter at c Eric go on Twitter. He's actually, uh, he's actually had to drop off here. So, uh, uh, his connection went bad, to so be honest with you. But uh, it's at SierraGo, and uh, that's on Twitter, and we'll have a link to that. And also, Paul, how can they get in touch with you?
3: Uh, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at PilotP151.
1: PilotP151. Okay, we'll have that link there, too. And, of course, me, you can find me right here, aviationcareerspodcast.com, feedback. I really encourage you to sign up for the newsletter because we have so many things coming out now and and products and services. We have some more videos that are coming out here shortly. Another technical video uh, concerning holding patterns. That's coming out soon. So we have uh, quite a few new things. Also, by the way, if you're uh, one of our, our coaching clients, uh, we had a little issue with some of the things on the website there we 've got those fixed, so uh, go to click on the coaching uh, tab and you can go ahead and schedule your next session by the way that has been incredibly rewarding. I really am having a lot of fun with that also have another uh, we have some interview preps that we 've been doing um those are if, great aren't they oh they're awesome a lot of fun very rewarding uh i love both of them the interview prep and also the coaching they both uh are rewarding in that you're really moving someone forward in their in their career but it's also cool when you hear someone get back to you and say hey listen i got the job you know and i know you've had that yeah, that's awesome people
3: oh yeah yeah, it's incredibly um, rewarding it is it
1: is so if you're interested in that just send us an email uh we do appreciate the emails Uh, more so than say the 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 calls because we've gotten so busy unfortunately and i'm in the air so much and then we all are that it's easier for us to get back to you uh by email and uh we can of course use the phone line but uh that way we can kind of send you an email three in the morning not worry about calling you at three in the morning uh because i've done that before where our schedules are so far off you know that so that would be a great thing to do there but anyway this has been terrific, uh, you know, with Eric. We appreciate him coming here this evening. And, and I am his, back, by the way. Oh, thank and he is for, back. Uh, <laughs> thank you for
2: <laughs> covering for me before. You know, the the Internet is my enemy tonight. But oh, no. uh But uh, so but thanks for shouting out the, the Twitter handle. And by any means, uh, anybody, please make use of it. I, I joke here that I love having Twitter conversations with people, but people love having Twitter conversations with me more because I'm Limited to 140 characters.
1: I know it is. It's great that you li- limit you that much. Yes. Uh, no, just kidding, Eric. We love to hear back from you. And the problem is, Eric, will keep tweeting out over and over and over again to make the conversation yeah, longer. But I,
2: I, I'll just use multiple <laughs> tweets. I can get around that 140 character limit really easily.
1: And really, Eric, I, I was just kidding. You still have those buddy passes are waiting for you. Well, if I
2: ever you know don't need to get there or get back, I'll I'll give you a phone call. <laughs>
1: You know, we joke, but I tell you, most of my buddy passes expire because it, it really is that tough to go somewhere um, that that's uh, that really everybody else wants to go to. Like I said, if it's a destination you don't want to go to, then then uh, then I, yeah, I can get you there on a buddy pass. But otherwise, no. <laughs> but it, it's really been a pleasure with you, talking to you guys. It's also been a pleasure with, uh, answering your questions. Uh, we had a little dip in the in the production of this the podcast because I actually. I uh, wound up starting to do, and we did this on the last show, started doing the, the the red eyes, found out that red eyes don't work real well with me putting the podcast together because everybody else is awake during the day and sleeping during the night. When I do red eyes, it's just the opposite. Uh, so I'm, I'm going back to work in days again, doing a lot of domestic and a lot of Caribbean stuff and a lot of that's day flying for me. So I'm, I'm really excited about doing that. By the way, I really like my job. Uh, I know I, someone else asked me that, and if I could mention that on another Yeah, yeah, on the podcast, mention that. I do. I love my job. It's a lot of fun. I get to go to some really cool destinations. I get to do some pretty challenging approaches at times, flying different uh, types of weather. Uh, There's a lot more involved with this job than you think. It's not just pushing a bunch of buttons. There's a lot of thinking involved in actual flying, Uh, but it also has some wonderful days. Uh, where there's no weather everything's wonderful vfr flying and we go to some wonderful destinations and you get to work for some really really cool people with some amazing backgrounds and uh, that's the, one of my favorite things about the job so yes i do still like my job and i actually really really enjoy the job it's almost uh like i'm getting paid to play and i, I think it's it's really really cool well guys i appreciate your you're speaking with us tonight uh both paul and eric and we appreciate you. The listener, uh, because it's it's all about you, and it's and we run this podcast for you, folks. If you have questions, you want us to talk about a topic, let us know. And uh, any future interviews you want to hear, let us know at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. dot com. Also, remember that you know before you you stop this podcast, think about something that you can do today or tomorrow. Put it on your schedule. Write it down. Something that'll move you forward in your career. Do it today. Do it tomorrow. But remember it. Accomplish
0: it and move forward we'll talk to you next episode safe flying you have been listening to aviation careers podcast an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career this aviation podcast is produced by the valeri aviation corporation although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast Compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.